This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 536, flashback to how I first discovered Daredevil. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 536. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is a quick little flashback episode. Um, the episode, uh, the... The show has been on a bit of an unintentional hiatus recently. Um, well, it's been the holiday season, let's be honest, and so everything goes a little bit crazy. So in the next, I think, three to four days, you might get like four episodes of Comic Shenanigans. They might not be long episodes, but they should be episodes nonetheless. Um, on this episode, I just want to do a quick little flashback-style uh, episode talking about something I don't think I've mentioned before, um, or at least not specifically. Um, so we'll get to, into that in just a moment, but um, hopefully... Uh, everyone had a great holiday season and is looking forward to the new year. I did want to do a special shout out to uh, a good friend of the show as well as a uh, prior guest on the show, AJ Reese, as uh, he just had a baby girl. Um, looks like December 18th, uh, they had uh, him and his, his wife uh, welcomed into the world, Eileen Faye Reese, and it's just a cute baby girl, and so uh, he's part of the extended uh, Comic Shenanigans family, and so uh, so is Eileen, uh, his his little baby girl. So congratulations to AJ um, from everyone at Comic Shenanigans, which is usually just me, but technically extended to my wife, my son, and anyone else who's ever been on the show. We are collectively the Comic Shenanigans family, so from our family to yours, congratulations. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's Good luck <laughs> as someone who's you know my I have I have a four year old and um, I can only, only tell you that it only gets crazier and crazier. Um, some things get easier, but some things get a whole hell of a lot more difficult. And you have a baby girl, so I don't even know where to start with that. I I have a, have a niece, so that's as close as I get to that. And uh, good luck because <laughs> that'll be quite the journey. Um, actually, speaking of my four year old son, um, so today. This is, what, the 20, I think, 7th, 28th of uh, December as I record this? 28th. Um, so today, I, I, he's, he's, he turned four in August, so he's been four, four, four years old and four months. And so I decided, you know what, it's finally time. He's seen, he, he knows of Star Wars. He knows it because his cousin is a, is a Star Wars fan. And he says, oh, it's, it's Star Wars. Ben likes Star Wars. His, his, uh, his cousin Ben, who is uh, actually named after Ben Riley, and is uh, Paul Scorza's son. Uh, Paul, my brother-in-law, has been on the show in the past. So uh, he knows of Star Wars. He knows kind of, of the characters. He's seen them. He knows. He's seen the lightsabers. He's seen Darth Vader. Um, so it's not like it doesn't exist. Um, but I was like, okay, we're going to watch Star Wars. And uh, I think on the weekend, we watched the first four or five minutes. And he seemed, you know, kind of into it and kind of paying attention. And my, my son is not exactly the best for attention. Um, he's super jacked up with energy all the time. He loves running around even. Like, I, I've known kids. In fact, I know my, my niece and my nephew. Uh, when the TV turns on, they will sit and they will watch. And they don't do anything else. You could, you know, run into the room on fire, and they're busy watching the screen until it's turned off. Um, my son is just not like that, for better or for worse. Um, when he's watching TV, he'll pay attention for a bit, and then he'll, you know, almost inevitably get up and start moving around, running around. You know, he's playing, he's doing stuff. He's like, he's watching TV, but not watching TV. And I'm also always surprised by how much detail he's able to pick up because he's not really paying attention. But for Star Wars, I have to say, so I picked him up from daycare. It was about 6.30 at night. Not the best time, probably, for him to be watching a movie and actually kind of understanding the details. But we sat down and started watching the movie. And uh, he, had a, he had a pizza, so he was at least, you know, distracted uh, or focused on eating and, and watching as opposed to running around. And he seemed to actually enjoy it. And um, 
yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And like hearing what he would pick up again, he's, you know, kind of a busy kid sometimes, but he would, uh, you know, be like when, uh, when Obi-Wan dies, he's like, Oh no, their friend, he's gone. I'm like, yeah, he's gone. Like, it was just really interesting to hear what his reactions were. I don't know if it's made him a star Wars fan, who knows? Um, I'll have to show him the rest of the movies at some point. Uh, but I made the commitment, I guess, to myself to start with episode four and not go, uh, not go backwards or and not start with the original prequel trilogy, um, for better or for worse. But, uh, yeah, he seemed to like new hope and, um, you know, he's, he, he likes, uh, C-3PO is like, who's your favorite character? He's like the gold one, you know, the, the robot with the arms and the legs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, no one's ever said C-3PO ever, but Okay. And we also liked R2-D2 at the end when he gets all damaged. He was like, oh no, is he okay? Is their friend okay? And then they show the shot at the end of the of New Hope where they're getting their medals. And I pointed out, and my wife had by that point come home. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm like, they're going to get medals. Well, except for Chewbacca. She's like, what do you mean Chew doesn't get a medal? I'm like, he doesn't get one. Retroactively, they, you know, said that he his race didn't like medals or something uh, in a comic. But, um, and as they're all getting their medals... Uh, Zach's like, oh no, where's the little robot? And then finally they show him his old, like, you know, shiny and new, and he's like, yeah, he's okay. Because at first he was like, where is he? Is he in the hospital? <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, kinda. He's in robot hospital. Um, so that was an interesting experience, being able to, uh, to watch that with my four year old. I feel like in some ways, um, he probably would have gotten a little bit more out of it if we'd waited maybe another, you know, half year, year, maybe even a year and a half until he was six. But, you know, I, uh, there's so many things that I want to be able to expose my son to and be able to share as, as a parent. And I found that, uh, you know, it, it was kind of time and it's not, it's a relatively simple story. It's not that difficult and it's not that violent. I mean, yes, there's blasters and stuff and someone technically dies, but except for like the bodies of Aunt Peru and uh, Uncle Owen, it's really not that kind of visceral. Like you, you see a planet blowing up, you don't see bodies. Like, you know, it's not as inherently violent. Whereas some of the other stuff I'd love to show them someday, like, you know, the, the comic book movies I love because they're so much more modern. Uh, they, you know, they go grittier and more violent and kind of over the top and stylized as opposed to the older stuff, which, um, you know, didn't need to go that route or didn't need to go that far, uh, which is something I kind of appreciate now as, as a parent. Um, this is a huge kind of diversion from what I was going to talk about. I literally just wanted to talk about the first time I remember ever having read an, a Daredevil comic, and instead I have discussed what it was like to show my son Star Wars A New Hope. Um, I'm excited to show him the rest. I'm kind of back and forth on if he'll really get Empire, because the New Hope is so well-structured, watching it again through the eyes of a four-year-old, there's not a lot of kind of the quieter... I mean, there are a lot of moments where you're kind of setting things up and they're just kind of doing some talking, but there's also a lot of, you know, they're kind of propelling things forward. They they have to go save the princess. What's going on with the princess? Oh, my God, the princess is going to get hurt. Like, that's basically the dialogue with my son. Um, and, you know, it's very easy to understand, whereas I'm just thinking about Empire. Like, there's moments there which are not as well-suited and the pacing is kind of slows down and it's not quite as, you know, adventurous and uproarious. And I think when we get to Return of the Jedi, he'll love it because of the Ewoks. I mean, I, I, they're meant for kids, right? Like, it's 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 where the the the, um, the franchise takes a definite direction, turn, to say, you know, this is definitely family-friendly, uh, as opposed to what Empire gave you. So I'm interested to kind of do that with him. I'm not sure when I'll do that, if it'll be sooner or later, but uh, I'm sure I'll talk about it at some point on the podcast. But um, I'm just trying to think what other elements that he kind of liked uh, he knows that Darth Vader has a red lightsaber, so when he sees him with the red, he's like, ooh, he's the bad guy, so he knows that red is bad, 
and that blue is good. And he kind of and he said something to me about you know uh, the green lightsaber, the little one. And I'm thinking like, have you been look, looking over my shoulder when I've been like watching videos? And have you did you see Yoda with his little green lightsaber? Like I sometimes I again I, I under I underestimate what he notices and what he sees, and and what he'll kind of walk into the room as I'm watching something. And, uh, yeah, and, and he'll just kind of surprise me that way. But it was interesting to watch it. And, uh, again, to see what he thinks of it. Like, when uh, they're in, when um, Luke and uh, Obi-Wan and the droids are first getting to Mos Eisley and they're stopped by the stormtroopers, Zack's like, oh, no, they caught them. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, they don't know what they're looking for yet, but then they're using their mind tricks to kind of get away. And Zach's like, oh, they got away. And I'm like, yeah. And I kind of explained what was happening. Um, Cause that's a little harder, you know, when you're a younger audience member, you know, he just kind of does this, you know, just talks and the other guy repeats it. You don't really get what's going on. Um, it's one of the, it's one of those things where sometimes you don't think about how things play until you're forced to consider, you know, in this case, what a four year old would see or what, how they would envision something going. It's very interesting, actually. And so, uh, I guess, AJ, you've got years to wait until your daughter's going to watch Star Wars. But um, as a parent who loves things it's and has a passion for, in my case, comics, and I mean, I like I grew up in Star Trek, I grew up in Star Wars, and maybe, like, not hugely in those, in Star Wars, kind of growing up, like, I like the movies. Um, but again, I don't think my dad really, like, was a huge Star Wars fan. He was more of a Star Trek guy because he was watching TNG all the time. Um, so I kind of grew up more on that. But, you know, you, you, you grew up with these things that mean a lot to you, and you want to pass them down to your children. You want them to care. And, uh, you know, it, you have to kind of wait years before you can start to do that. Like, this uh, this morning, I was walking downstairs to grab a comic book to kind of flip through it, be like, I'm going to do a podcast about this particular comic. Don't worry, I'm finally going to get there one of these days. And... Um, as I was walking downstairs, he kind of chases after me, and he just looks at me and says, "I want to pick up a comic book." I'm like, "All right, like which one?" And he and I had two, I had grabbed two trade paperbacks off my shelf, and he's like, "Oh, I want this one." And I uh, and he looks at it, and it was the um, complete Clone Saga Epic Volume One, and on it has a split cover from I believe a cover from Spider-Man Unlimited, um, which is half Spider-Man, half Scarlet Spider. And he's like, "Oh, there's two Spider characters," and he starts reading it and kind of walking upstairs with it. And I'm like, "This is awesome!" And then he notices the one I have, and he's like, "Oh, no, I want that one instead." And, uh, you know, every time that kind of happens, even though he's not really getting it yet, but he's starting to understand who the, some of the characters are, um, that's really exciting as a parent. Because, um, again, we want to share things. You have a passion, you have a hobby, and you want to share that with your child. It makes me a little sad for my father, because he was never really a guy who had hobbies in that way, but he always had an interest in cars and in tools and and um, being very handy, and I just never responded or cared about that stuff. And I... You know, I, I joke sometimes that when my son seems to show a bit of an aptitude for a tool or something, and he's like, and I'm like, well, maybe you'll finally get the son you always wanted, because it just wasn't me. Um, I didn't really like the things my dad liked in that area. It's interesting, too, because, again, he wouldn't think of Star Trek as being like a big passion or something he really likes. He liked it, and we'll watch it now, but it's not, he just doesn't think of it that way, or doesn't connect with a, an element of fandom. He doesn't think about these sorts of things. Uh, he just has kind of his, you know, predilection towards tools and, um, and, and, you know, liking his car. But just 
and which is I would care about those things. But in you know, he would watch Bond movies. I'd watch Bond movies. We would, I went to my first Bond movie, Goldeneye, with him in theaters. Um, you know, I would go to some movies with my dad back when he actually went to movies, and he hasn't gone to a movie theater in over a decade now. But, like, he, you know, I went to The Rocketeer with my dad. I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark with my dad. Um, they got the shoes. They had to come back into one of the local theaters was having a big anniversary. It was a, it was a kind of, it was a one-screen theater. It was a really nice, big-screen giant. And, uh... We they were showing Raiders and my dad took me to that. So like, the, you know, he took me to a lot of these kind of things that I definitely remember now and really recognize and love. Um, again, watched Star Trek with my dad a lot growing up, and uh, yeah. So I just kind of think about all the things I, I want Zach to care about and and really kind of uh, have an interest in and surrounding him with comic book characters and and now with Star Wars and kind of seeing what what will latch on and. You know, I, I want him to be able to discover his own fandom as much as possible because I don't want him to feel like I'm pushing it on him. But at the same time, it's impossible not to want to um, because we want. I want him to love these things. I want him to care. I want him. I want to be able to have a dialogue with him. I want him to be able to read all these comic books that realistically he'll never want to read. Like he's not going to want to read stories from twenty, thirty years ago. I mean, I would, but that doesn't mean he will. And I've always been like I meet comic book fans all the time who don't want to read older stories for many reasons. Either they don't like the, the writing at the time or the art or whatever, but they won't go back. Like, even my brother-in-law, like, I don't even know how much he'd really want to read of, you know, classic, you know, Claremont X-Men stuff back in the day. Like, he's heard of it, he knows of it, but is he really going to want to go back and read some of it, especially with the purple prose of, of the day? Probably not. You know, I'm like, I will go back and read Amazing Spider-Man from the beginning, and I just don't think a lot of, no, not everyone's going to do that. Um, so I'm curious how much of that kind of element of fandom my son will get uh, kind of instilled within him. So we're, um, you know, we're, we're 13 minutes into an episode, which is realistically, once I start talking about this uh, specific Daredevil appearance, it's going to be maybe five, six, seven minutes from now. So most of this episode has been about Star Wars and, uh, and, and parenting. Um, but what I wanted to talk about, and to kind of do a, a brief kind of flashback series, it's that maybe when I'm, I, I don't have a lot of interviews scheduled over the holidays, as you can imagine. I don't have any interviews coming up until January. We're going to have Steve Engelhart working on Jamal Eigel. Um, so we have a, a few different interviews coming up, but uh, until we have those, I'm going to have a few episodes where we do flashbacks. Uh, one, which was suggested by Earl Lloyd, is going to be a focus on uh, JLA Avengers or Avengers JLA, depending on how you want to stylize it. Um, I haven't had a chance to reread it yet. He literally just re- recommended uh, me looking at it yesterday. So I do have to go back and find my issues somewhere in my long boxes and uh, take them out and start rereading them. So that'll be a future episode. But today, what I wanted to do is actually talk about my first interaction with the character of Daredevil, which is not the best version of Daredevil. But I didn't know it at the time, um, and, and and this has impacted my life in different ways. So uh, today, I'm, specifically, I don't actually have the singles in front of me, but I'm talking about uh, two particular issues. Um, they are they are reprinted in the Complete Clone Saga Epic um, Volume Two. And uh, it is Amazing Spider-Man 396 and Spectacular Spider-Man 219. So these came out, I believe, in 1994. Um, so a long... Yeah, 1994. Um, the cover date is 1994, December. So they probably came out two months before that. Um, which makes sense. I mean, I, th- I, I think I got them in November. I think I got them for my birthday. So I feel like they'd already been on the stands maybe for a little bit. Um and so, so maybe that yeah, maybe came out in like uh, October, November kind of era, which makes sense cause if it was a birthday gift. Um, so 
it's it these are kind of strange issues because of when they take place. So this issue I'm talking about it's episode, it's issue three ninety six. So again, it was a gift for me. And on the cover, you have a Mark Bagley drawn uh, Spider Man swinging towards you, as well as kind of a weird like there's there's no real perspective here. It's just this weird green background with some lines on it, and you have Daredevil jumping forward in kind of an odd pose, but it's the Daredevil with the armor. This is so. This is the Daredevil post Fall from Grace. Speaking of, I at some point, and this is totally my fault. Um, Curtis Finley is going to be having me back on his Epic Marvel collection or Epic Marvel podcast. Sorry, uh, talking about the Epic collections, and we're going to be doing an episode focusing on Daredevil uh, Fall from Grace. Um, I've been putting him off like a month. That's totally on me. I've had illness and holidays and trying to get on top of the material, and I just haven't had a chance to record with him yet, and that's completely on me. But at some point in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, we're going to sit down and talk about Fall from Grace. So uh, listen to that episode when it comes out. Um, but uh, this you know, this issue, so again, it's cover dated December 1994. Um, let's see, $1.50 US or $2.05 uh, Canadian. Uh, this is issue Amazing Spider-Man 396. It's actually Back from the Edge, part three of four. Um, now, I read this as a kid not realizing it was part three of anything. I didn't really... I, obviously, it's on the cover, but I wasn't really paying attention. And to be honest, years later, having been able to read issues one and two, they weren't that important. I mean, they were, but it was almost like two different two-issue arcs uh, based on how it was kind of framed. And it's side-by-side uh, side with Daredevil. So again, this is my first interaction with Daredevil ever. So the first Daredevil I ever meet in the comics is not... I mean, it is Matt Murdock, but they play him differently. Um, because he's kind of meant not to be Matt Murdock, at least the way that Jam DeMatteis writes him here. And uh, he's kind of a, more of a dick and not you know the classic kind of Daredevil we know. And again, uh, Mark Bailey just knocks it out of the park in terms of how he illustrates the armor, or this kind of the armored uh, Daredevil costume. And the whole idea here is that Spider-Man needs help from Daredevil, and he's like, and he's like, Matt, you know, don't turn away from me. I really need your help. And and Daredevil keeps saying, Matt Murdock is dead. And you have this great moment at the beginning where Spider-Man jumps over him and just goes, so am I, because uh, he's freaking out about you know the the idea that Peter Parker is is kind of dragging him down, and maybe she get rid of Peter Parker and do what uh, Matt Murdock did. And so you have some, these great moments and it juxtaposed with this this story about the owl and the vulture who I don't think I'd ever really met until now and it's kind of a nice juxtaposition and you also have a lot kind of going on with um, Mary Jane Watson's own story and her dealing with her kind of thoughts um, abandoning Gail her sister uh, and also dealing with her dad um, and Really, like you have spent a bunch of this issue with these really heady, deep themes. This is not a you know a happy-go-lucky book. It's all about Peter wanting to um, kind of dump his his life, and you know he's revealing that he's Peter Parker, and and Daredevil's kind of like, well, that's you know, thanks for showing me your identity, because he's really leaning hard into the fact that he's not Matt Murdock, and um, and he's you know Spider-Man, and they do great job with the lettering and also just the voice boxes themselves. They kind of do this weird kind of extra extra thick line on the sides, and they're not perfectly rounded to kind of show that how he's kind of screaming at Matt, needing help. And Matt kind of saying like, you know, if I really did dump my life, um, wouldn't you be part of the past I buried? Doesn't this mean I, I don't want you in my life? And um, it's just kind of interesting to see these two men really at an interesting crossroads. Um, Peter kind of being at the darkest moment in his life, and uh, Matt Murdock definitely being at one of the darkest in his. And then they they go to Matt Murdock's um, uh, grave, and this is I always thought was really as a kid thought this was kind of powerful. Again, not really knowing who Daredevil was and trying to, you know, not sure 
if he really is mad or not, because if you weren't reading those comics, you didn't understand what was going on. It was a little difficult, but again, I was 11 years old, like I, and I think I, just, I didn't care. I was able to understand what was going on. The art was cool, and there's a great moment here that uh, Matt Murdock is, is telling him that... Um, I'll, I'll actually quote here. If I was Matt Murdock, if I did stage my own death in order to be born again, which I thought was... Reading it now is cool because obviously Born Again is a is a storyline, a classic storyline by Frank Miller. But as a kid, I wouldn't have that would have gone over my head. Uh, free of Murdoch's pain, then I'd have one piece of advice for you: kill Peter Parker now, bury him deep in the ground, throw the dirt over the coffin, and then forget he ever existed. That's what I tell you if I was Matt Murdock. But of course, I'm not. Um, and it's interesting. Right after that, you have kind of for a moment, classic kind of Peter poking through and saying, "Why, why don't we hunt the owl together?" And again, you have this idea that um, you know the the owl is dealing with you know his humanity, and the vulture is is kind of being a, like real tool in killing people and developing this virus um, and and a potential antidote for it. And uh, at the end of this issue, Spider-Man gets pricked by this the talons of this vulture, uh, or is it an owl? I'm not even sure by the art. And uh, he may or may not be dying. And um, yeah, well it's, and, and it's interesting because you just have Peter collapsing and it just has to be concluded in the page of Spectacular Spider-Man 219. So I went to my corner store and I found Spectacular Spider-Man 219 and I feel like I must have at some point talked about this in the podcast, but I'm not sure. This might have been on my com- first comics as a kid storyline. Uh, just talking about when I first started buying comics. I'm not sure. But I don't think I went quite at this in depth. And if I did, I apologize that you're getting the second episode basically again. Um... And then we have you know a great cover by uh, Sabasema um, with the spectacular Spider-Man is dying. It's super dark though and kind of hard to read. Guest starring Daredevil. Is it too late to save the fight? He the life he's fought to reclaim. And here's the thing though: this is not the best art I've ever seen by Sabasema. Um, in fact, it's kind of atrocious. You see this first page; it's so bad. Um, it's this highly stylized Daredevil face, but it's awful. Um, unless it's supposed to be what Peter's seeing looking at Daredevil, because that's the only reason I can imagine that this would look so terrible. Um, if the issue is written by Tom DeFalco, Tom DeFalco does the plot. Uh, the script is by Todd DeZago. I'm actually surprised he was doing scripts this early. And Sal Buscema and Scott Hanna did the art. And again, maybe it's Hanna's inks, I'm not sure, but it's not the best art, but it's a good story. Um, again, the story is that, you know, Daredevil, Daredevil's dying, he needs an antidote, um, otherwise, he's gonna, you know, sorry, Spider-Man's dying. Daredevil's trying to help him. Um, Daredevil feels completely different here, and I think part of it's because he's feeling guilt about what he was kind of trying to tell Peter to do before, and how he's kind of being to a tool. And here, Spider-Man's starting to die, and Daredevil's, you know, communing and trying to find where the owl and the vulture are, so that they can find the uh, the antidote. We also have the again more about the um, Mary Jane storyline, and. It's got this great ending where Spider-Man takes the antidote, and it's him kind of... It's him in front of, like, like a, just a weird background, and it doesn't really mean anything in terms of the background, but you start with a kind of a tight shot in his face, and then the next shot, you're farther out, and then farther out, and it's all about him realizing that the, uh, the, the, the antidote he took was actually a fake, it was just water, and that he's actually still dying. And at the same time, you juxtapose him, this idea of him feeling like he's going to die... And then you have the juxtaposition of uh, Mary Jane realizing that 
something great is going to happen, and she's feeling so alive, and can't wait to talk to Peter. And that's going to lead into the next storyline called Web of Death, which is a juxtaposition with the Scarlet Spider-Man storyline happening in Web of Spider-Man and Spider-Man called Web of Life. And Web of Death is about Spider-Man confronted with the fact that he's dying of this virus, while at the same time, Mary Jane telling, telling him that she's pregnant. Now, this is 23 years old, so I'm not really spoiling anything. Um, well, I am, but it's 23 years old, so I think you can get over it. Um, so this is my first interaction with Daredevil as a character. Um, the fr- it's an, And to be honest, it's kind of interesting, because this is not any real Daredevil that most people would even recognize. Um, it's not... You know, it, it's he's not the swashbuckler. He's not even the daredevil that we're used to um, from the, the Frank Miller days. He's this weird version of the character who's kind of given up on his life. And I think in some ways he's even darker than he was in Daredevil, uh, Fall from Grace, and Tree of Knowledge. Um, this kind of dark, sad take of the character who's really given up on life and then advising Spider-Man to do the same. And considering it is still Matt Murdock, like he's really fucked up that he's thinking that this is the best advice that this man needs um, to kind of forget his life and move forward. But I guess because of how he then gets infected, I think it, it definitely starts to jolt Matt Murdock awake a little. Um, that, you know, that wasn't the right call, that he was, you know, kind of imposing his own kind of darkness and feelings on this man, and he really shouldn't have been doing that. So that is uh, those two issues, which was my first real interaction with Daredevil. I think the next interaction I had with him was an issue that I think was a, a throw-in a couple of years later um, um, that I, I must have bought in like a pack because I, I don't think I ever, I never, I never actually picked it up on its own. So I think it was you know one of these multi packs that they were selling back in that day, and I think it's like a couple of years later. Um, He's, you know, Daredevil's in the red costume again. He's, you know, traditional Matt Murdock. Uh, he's working with Foggy Nelson, um, but at a, a larger law firm, and that was a recent development at that point. So that's a, a, mu- a much more uh, familiar take on the character as opposed to this. Now, this, I, because my first real interaction with Daredevil was in the, in, in the armored costume, that's always going to kind of be my Daredevil. Um, I hadn't even read, again, I didn't read any of the actual Daredevil comics, just his appearance here, but that was always the Daredevil I loved. And, um, when they, um, when they, when they made a, a statue of Daredevil, um, I actually have that statue in the armored costume that was a gift, um, I, before I got married, it was at my, I guess at my bachelor party, uh, they gave me a gift, and they, my, um, Nathan Strzok, who's been on the show in the past, used to be co-host uh, back in the early days of the podcast, and Paul Scores, my brother-in-law, who I've mentioned numerous times this episode. Um, it was their idea to kind of get me a Daredevil statue, because knowing I love Daredevil is one of my favorite characters, but specifically getting him the, getting me the armored version of the character. And um, it owes a lot, a lot to these issues, which I think were given to me by my uncle for my birthday. And again, this would have been 23 years ago, but obviously had an impact on me. And... Um, you know, it wasn't until a few years later that I really started becoming a big Daredevil fan and reading all the Frank Miller visionaries back when they were first republishing uh, them in these large trade paperbacks. Um, but yeah, like it, it all started because of uh, seeing the beautiful Mark Bagley artwork of the Armor Daredevil in a book written by J.M. DeMatteis, which was so interesting, interesting to me as a kid that it made me seek out the second chapter in Spectacular Spider-Man at my local corner store. Um, I don't, I, and again, I didn't really read any other issues after that, but um, years later I would go back and kind of fill in those collections. Um, and then once I had the... Um, 
Epic collections, I buy them all. But it's interesting that sometimes it just takes an issue or two to really make you like a character, and it could not even be a good representation of that character. It doesn't always matter. Um, it's just something that stays with you, and uh, even though it's you know this weird period that a lot of people don't like and don't even like that costume, for me it meant something, and it has continued to mean something for the rest of my kind of comic fandom life. So. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I actually lost my voice as we've been speaking. You can email me at comicshenanigans.gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. And um, we'll have a a few more episodes coming out in the next few days. It's going to be kind of a rat-a-tat-tat kind of um, uh, releasing of episodes, but um, hopefully you'll really enjoy it, and uh, you'll join us next time. So thanks again for joining me for this flashback slash Star Wars uh, discussion, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.